Chapter Sixteen of the Phantom Town Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Phantom Town Mystery by Carol Norton. Chapter Sixteen Searching for Clues. The four young people in the loft listened as Mr. Newcomb closed the gate to the henyard. Then, when they heard him leaving, Jerry said, "'I reckon we're alone now, so let's get ahead with the box-opening ceremony.' "'Oh, big brother!' Mary, quite recovered from her recent fright, exclaimed. "'Let's make a real ceremony of it, shall we? Let's kneel on the floor, you boys at the sides and we girls at the ends. There, now, let's all lift at once and together.' "'Wait!' Dora cried, detaining them. "'Just to add to the suspense, let's each tell what we expect to find in the box.' Mary looked across at her friend vaguely. "'Why, I'm sure I don't know. What do you hope that we'll find, Jerry?' "'I reckon what we want to find is something that will help us locate Little Bodle,' the cowboy replied. "'And yet,' Dick put in wisely, "'since Little Bodle was thrown from the stagecoach forty years ago, how can anything that was already in her trunk prove to us whether she was devoured by wild animals or carried away by bandits?' Oh, Mary shuddered. I don't know which would be worse. Dora was agreeing with Dick. You're right, of course, she said thoughtfully, but nevertheless I've a hunch that we'll find something that will, in some roundabout way, prove to us whether little Bodle is dead or alive. Now, if that's settled, let the ceremony proceed, Jerry announced. In the dim lantern light, Mary's fair face and Dora's olive-tinted, glowed with excited animation, as they took hold of the trunk-ends. The top, however, did not come off as readily as they had anticipated. The many winter storms and the burning summer heat to which the box had been exposed had warped the cover, binding it tight. Jerry, glancing about the room, found a broken tool which he could use as a wedge. With it he loosened the cover, then it was easily removed. The first emotion was one of disappointment. The small trunk contained little nothing at all, the young people decided, that could be considered as a clue. There was a plaid woolen dress for a child of about eight or ten, and the coarsest of homemade underwear, knit stockings, and a small pair of carpet slippers with patched soles. A hand-carved wooden doll, in a plaid dress, which evidently had been made by the child, had been lovingly wrapped in a small red shawl. Lastly, tied up in a quilted blue bonnet, with the strings, was a carved wooden bowl and spoon. In the flickering lantern light, the expression on the four faces changed from eager excitement to genuine disappointment. "'Not a clue among them,' Dora announced dramatically. "'Not a line of writing of any kind, is there?' Mary was confident that she knew the answer to her question before she asked it. Dick was closely scrutinizing the empty leather box. Usually, in mystery stories, he looked up from his inspection to say, "'There's a lining in the trunk and the lost will, or what have you, is safely reposing under it. But unfortunately, little Bodle's trunk has no lining, nor hide it away places of any kind.' Mary was holding the small doll near to the lantern, and the other saw tears in her pitying blue eyes. Suddenly she held the doll comfortingly close, as she said, a sob in her voice, 
Poor little old wooden dolly! All these long years you've been waiting, wondering, perhaps, why little Bodle didn't take you out and mother you." "'Like Eugene Field's little toy dog,' Dora said, looking lovingly at her friend. Then, Mary, you can write the sweetest verses. Some day, when we're back at school, write about little Bodle's wooden doll. It may make you famous. Then she modified, at least it will help you fill space in the sunny bank say-so. Promise to send me a copy if she does, Jerry said. Dick, who had not been listening, had at last given up hope of finding a scrap of writing. He had felt in the small pocket of the plaid dress and had closely examined the quilted hood. Well, he said in a matter-of-fact tone, since there isn't a clue to be found, shall we put the things back into the trunk and go in? I reckon we might as well, Jerry acquiesced. We'll have to be up early tomorrow so that we can drive the girls over to Gleason along about noon." Dora was examining the hand-carved wooden bowl and long wooden spoon. "'I wonder if little Bodle's father made this leaf pattern on the handle,' she said. Then began jokingly, "'If I were a trance medium, I would say, as I hold this article, I feel the presence of someone who, when alive in the flesh, dearly loved the child little Bodle. This someone, this spirit presence that we cannot see with our outward eyes, wishes very much to help us find a clue." Dora's voice had become mysteriously low. Lifting her eyes slowly from the wooden bowl, she gazed intently at a dark corner where junk was piled. Mary's gaze followed. "'Goodness, Dora,' she implored nervously, "'don't stare that way into space. Anyone would think that you saw someone, and—I'm not sure but that I do see something.' Dora's tone had changed to one of startled seriousness. "'Jerry,' she continued, pointing toward the dark corner, "'don't you see a palely luminous object over there?' "'I reckon I do,' the cowboy agreed. "'But one thing I'm sure is it can't be a ghost, since there isn't any such thing.' "'How do we know that?' Dora began, when Mary, clutching her friend's arm, whispered excitedly, "'I see it now. Oh, Jerry!' If it isn't a ghost, what is it?" "'We'll soon know.' There was no fear in the cowboy's voice as he leaped to his feet and walked toward the corner. The girls watched breathlessly, expecting to see the apparition fade into darkness, but if anything it seemed clearer as Jerry approached it. His hearty laugh dispelled their fears before he explained, "'The moon is rising. That's moonlight coming in through a long crack in the wall. Then, with a shrug which told his disbelief in all things supernatural, he dismissed the subject with, "'I reckon that's as near being a ghost as anything ever is.' Mary was tenderly placing the coarse little undergarments back into the small trunk. Dora, less sentimental than her friend, nevertheless felt a pitying sadness in her heart as she refolded the little plaid dress and laid it on top. Before closing the box, Mary, still on her knees, looked up at Jerry, her eyes luminous. "'Big brother,' she said, "'do you think little Bodle would mind if I kept her doll? It's a funny, homely little thing with only a wooden heart, but I can't get over feeling that it's lonesome and needs comforting.' Jerry's gray eyes were very gentle as he looked down at the girl. His voice was a bit husky as he replied, "'I reckon little Bodle would be grateful to you if she knew. She probably set a store by that doll baby.' He held out a strong brown hand to help her to rise, 
and there was a tenderness in the clasp. Dora had not packed the wooden bowl and spoon. "'I would so like to keep these,' she said, adding hastily, "'Of course, if little Bodil is found, I'll give them back to her. Don't you think it would be all right?' "'Sure thing,' Dick replied. Stooping, he picked up the worn little carpet slippers, saying, "'You overlooked these, girls, while you were packing.' "'Oh, so we did.' Dora reached up a hand to take them. Then she hesitated, inquiring, "'Why don't you and Jerry each take one for a keepsake, or don't boys care for such things?' Dick took one of the slippers and dropped it unconcernedly into a deep leather pocket. The other slipper he handed to Jerry, who stowed it away. The boys replaced the cover of the box, not without difficulty, and then they all four stood for a silent moment, looking down at it with varying emotions. Mary spoke in a small, awed voice. "'What shall we do with the little box?' "'I reckoned we'd leave it here,' Jerry began, then asked, "'What were you thinking about it?' I was wondering, Mary said, looking from one to another with large star-like eyes, if it wouldn't be a good plan to take the box up to the rock-house and leave it there. Why, Mary Moore, Dora was frankly amazed, you wouldn't dare climb up there and be looked at by that evil-eye turquoise, would you? Before Mary could reply, Jerry said, The plan is a good one, all right, but we'd better leave it here, I reckon, till we know if there's any way to get up to the rock-house. The cliff that broke off in front of it used to be Mr. Peterson's stairway. Mary agreed, and so they descended the wall ladder. As they stood in the harness-room below, Mary said in a low voice, "'Although we have not found a clue, that trunk has done one thing. It has made me feel in my heart that little Bodil was a real child. Before it seemed to me more like a fanciful story. Now, more than ever, I hope that somewhere we will find a clue that will some day prove to us that no harm came to the little girl. Jerry had picked up the second lantern, and taking Mary's arm, he led her through the low door and along the dark path. Neither spoke. Dora and Dick followed, walking single file. Dora, remembering the dead snakes, glanced about, but Mr. Newcomb had thoughtfully buried them, not wishing the girls to be needlessly startled. At the kitchen door, the boys said good-night, and returned to their bunkhouse out near the corral. End of chapter 16 Recording by Bill Borst